Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever in the world you might be. This is the Quantum Business Book Club, a spinoff from the podcast, You Know Everything, because you do. But when we read books, we get to sit across the table from our imaginary peers who also know everything and really amazing things happen. That's why I call this the Quantum Business Book Club. As a business coach, as a multiple business owner, as a serial entrepreneur, as a visionary and a creative and a worker bee, I love reading. It's my favorite form of distraction. It's potentially why I never really figured out the whole social media game is I would much rather just pick up a book than scroll through other people's opinions about all of the things. I like to synergize my ideas, my questions with someone else's answers. And what's so cool about books and the book we're going to talk about today is we can do this with someone who was alive a hundred years ago, who is talking about these concepts and the challenges that I can relate to now, but give me this completely different way of thinking about my existing experience. And I wanted to start this book club mainly as an excuse to share my favorite books with you. But as we rounded into season two, I let the Discord container invitation in the show notes or below choose which books. We put together a massive list and this was the second book that came up and my oh my, she was a doozy. I don't know exactly what I was thinking. Oftentimes I can bite off more than I can chew. And when I say oftentimes, every time, that's how I move through this world. I was very familiar with the hero's journey. I had never yet or actually read A Hero with a Thousand Faces, which is today's book. And what I failed to realize is that Joseph Campbell would go through about a thousand different stories, myths, um, retellings, religions. I mean, the hero with the thousand faces is the monomyth, the story that rules them all. And most of you, I'm sure, are very familiar with the hero's journey. What I'm not actually going to get like that into the hero's journey only because I did another quantum business book club episode in season one on the artist's journey, which is one of my favorite all-time books by Stephen Pressfield. It is incredibly funny, but absolutely genius comparing the journey of an artist to the hero's journey. And so I go into the steps, into the different um, academics have kind of different. Some people will say there's 10 steps. Uh, some people say 11. I'm, I'm looking at 17 right here. So how you break up the hero's journey, I think is a matter of interpretation, like most of these myths and stories. But what I'm going to focus on today is the symbology, how the, this story is your story, is my story, is society's story, is your business story, is everyone's collective journey and why that's so powerful, what you can really take away from that in terms of your own success and quantum leaping, right? The reason I call this the Quantum Business Book Club is because quantum physics explores this idea that particles can be in two separate physical, potentially geographical locations, depending on what sort of angle you're looking at that assumption. And by reading, by me sharing with you, wherever you are in the world, whenever you're actually tuning into this, we're still sharing space, even though you're not in physical proximity with me. And our ideas are coming together and we're co-creating something that's potentially never existed before. So that's fucking cool. Um I mentioned the Discord container. I'm actually live in the Discord container right now. Hello. How are you? Uh, we do lots of fun things in there. It is free to join. The Quantum Business Book Club channel is free to participate in. So for all of you book nerds out there, we're still 
kind of voting on what book is next. Uh, Rational Optimist is is our next book, but there's a whole a whole list. I'm kind of adding to it as we go as well because, uh, like I said, reading is my favorite. So I'd love to have you in there. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Let's get into the hero's journey, my friend. So I've taken some some notes. This was this. So it's the middle. No, it's fucking April. So that means it took me. Um, six to eight weeks to actually get this one done. I mean, the book is a tome, but I want to do it justice. It's incredibly academic. It's incredibly rich. I encourage all of you to re- read it. And also it's going to take a minute, right? Um, so kind of depending on why you would be reading it, I think you will get something out of it. It's probably, it's one of those books you could reread a hundred times and get so, so, so much out of it. Joseph Campbell is someone that we refer to daily in psychology, in business, in creativity, in science. He really um, explored some concepts that no one else was willing to talk about and in a way that no one else was talking about in like the scientific academic realms in the sort of early uh, 20th century. Now he is repurposing, and some might say appropriating ancient wisdom, concepts of symbols and storytelling and history and culture that have been around as long as we have. And so it's this really interesting layering that whether you're talking like biblical or biographical, allegory or anecdotal, cultural history or children's stories, it's it's like acutely scarily relevant. And um so I took notes because I didn't I didn't want to let the team down and the book is so eloquent when I can get on a roll and kind of go, go all over the place I I often lose some of the points that I'm trying to make <laughs> well new points come in you know so it's all good but um I, I just this this idea even of the monomyth, the story where all stories come from, the foundation of religion, the connection between cosmic universal awareness and the individual. It reminds me of what I very, really, very, really, when I first started listening to music, but on this like, uh, gosh, you know, you're like 12, 13 years old and you're finally listening to the lyrics and you feel like someone is telling your story. And even though you may have never had a lover or even been in love, it's a fairy tale that you so desperately want to be a part of. And music not just proved to me, but demonstrated in real time that we are all sharing this journey. Even though you don't know me, I don't know you. I mean, I might know you. I love you. Uh, we can we can share in this retelling of a, uh, what's the retelling of a well-known tale? Campbell thought that humanity's myths and stories all had common roots. And so by studying these origin points, we would learn. We would learn a lot about life. We would learn a lot about each other. It's like picking this point of relativity and then seeing how we all circle around it. And the concept being that a hero is a hero. The archetypal energy, the role that the hero plays is played out in every single culture around the world from as old as we have recorded history and probably a hell of a lot older than that. And the hero represents, like I said, an energy. And that's what I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about today are the symbols. Joseph Campbell was fascinated by symbology and he is one of the purveyors of dream work, studying how our dreams and why our dreams are interpretive versions of reality. I like to think about dreams as being as our subconscious processing our emotional reality. Campbell believed that the symbols in our dreams tend to represent the same archetypal energy across time and history. And that myth is the projection of a culture's dream onto a large screen. And if you've done DreamWork, there's actually a fantastic Reddit thread on DreamWork. What you'll notice is we often have the same dreams and not necessarily you or I, but I have, when I'm stressed, I have, it's the same stress dream. I'm always lost in a building. There's people waiting for me. I've misplaced my purse or my passport or my travel bag. And, you know, someone's kind of hassling me and letting me know everybody's waiting. And there's always this temptation to think that it's been stolen, but 
this also knowing that it's I've misplaced it and it's my fault. And there's something really important in my bag. It's different in every dream. Sometimes it's a lot of money. Sometimes, like I said, it's my passport, my driver's license. Sometimes it's, you know, the bands, um, visa paperwork, like there's always something. And what I've realized when I started tuning into it is even though the scene might change or the players might change, there's this certain energy, this certain feeling that is a constant thread. And it's representative of things that are happening in my day-to-day. Another uh, concept that was recently introduced to me, I, I, I'm pretty sure the person who shared it was sharing someone else's opinion. So we'll just give credit to the ether, but that every player in your dream, the various characters and people are simply reflections of you. And so when we start to think about everything we see, every concept that our brain and our and our um, mind, our ego kind of sinks its teeth into is probably representative of a much larger feeling, energy, a collective consciousness. And I don't mean that in like woo terms. What I mean is we have come to certain conclusions and we've made assumptions we're probably not even aware of only because of the culture in which we grew up, the stories that we've been told, the images that we've seen over and over and over again. Like, I don't know about you, but when I think of hero, I typically think of a giant muscular man. My hero has long hair for some reason. It's probably, um, I was going to say Conan the Barbarian, but all heroes wear capes. That's a very Western, very um, traditional form of hero. And I'm sure you have all been a hero in your experience at least once. And I doubt that many of you look like Hercules. So it's Again, I use that very simplistic example to just share that what we're doing here is exploring this the energy of this imagery and where you come from, your age, the type of family that you grew up in, the media that you were exposed to, all of that is absolutely going to, on a symbolic level, inform your concept of the hero's journey. But Campbell would argue it's all it's all the same. And what I've been really thinking about is like, how does it show up? How does it feel? How do I worship heroes? How do I condemn heroes? When I am trying to be a hero, why? Who am I saving? How am I showing up? Am I pedestalizing that? Am I, am, again, am I worshiping that concept? Is that even realistic in my day-to-day? I'm going to get into a handful of the universal symbols that Campbell talks about, um, such as identity, good versus evil, fate versus free will, mortality, spirituality, tradition, transformation, coming of age, wisdom, exploration. These are the types of, they're, they're, they can be thought about as um, periods in the hero's journey, but also symbols. And when you can start to tune into what represents these various experiences in terms of symbols. Like as an example, transformation, I always think of the infinity sign, but then I think of the number eight. I think of water. I think of bathing, of showers, of fountains. I think of the seasons, um, good versus evil. I mean, that's pretty, pretty, I mean, pretty obvious, but I say that because I'm making assumptions that my own cultural viewpoint is everybody's. So I think knights, knights could be good or evil, kind of depending on which side of the world you are in, right? Um, But like a chalice, a diamond, um, the sun, a shield, like these things symbolize good. Evil is usually like a devil's face, uh, um, the color red, the color black, monsters, the underworld. And so you can see how like in art or in music, I mean, in, in I think good versus evil, good, major key, evil, minor key. You think about the soundtrack in a movie, like you know when something bad's going to happen because the music gets all like pinchy and kind of... um melancholy or very like staccato, like dun, 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 dun. Those are all examples of symbols that are being used very consciously to generate an emotional response in you. Because ultimately we, we hear, well, again, this is in Western culture, we hear minor keys as melancholic, sad, um, tension, 
in uh, like Eastern cultures, it, it's almost the opposite in the terms of how they hear music and then the emotional response that they have. But it's the same idea. Like music doesn't necessarily have a feeling, but we've told these stories and we've used music as an expression of myth and power and energy and feeling and these, these sort of um, timeless experiences. So although every hero and every story is different, they still represent the same struggle and triumph. It's the surface details that are different, and that tends to match the time, the context, the culture, the geographical location. Sometimes the teaching and the learning at the end, there are um, various things that we can all sort of derive from each hero's journey, but there is only one hero that simply wears a thousand different outfits or has a thousand faces. As you're listening to this, ask yourself, where am I in my journey? And I think as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as someone who also has a million different things going on we can get really stuck in our story, right? We might think that this is what's going to be happening forever. And the hero's journey is an opportunity to reflect on where you are, perhaps reflect on where someone else might be. I have a lot of people in my life that are couldn't be more different. I, I think about my partner. Where he's at on his hero's journey is couldn't be further away from where I am. Now, every time, every now and again, we sync up because I also think I, I was pondering this beforehand. You're on multiple hero heroes journeys, heroes, hero journeys, heroes. Okay. You're on multiple journeys. <laughs> Interdimensionally, you are potentially crossing, crossing the threshold. You are potentially returning with the wisdom you have gained. You are maybe in the whale, the whale's belly. And understanding where you're at allows you to lean in because some of these points on the journey are incredibly challenging and uncomfortable, probably painful. Others are so blissful, we actually disassociate from reality or from responsibility or from service. Now, that's not a good or bad thing. That's just what might be happening. And that's where I think not so much stepping this hero's journey out in a regimented way, but kind of understanding what if I went with the purpose of this particular segment? What if it's supposed to be hard? So instead of suggesting that that means I'm doing something wrong or the world is against me or everybody sucks or no one is blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, this is the part that feels like I am completely enveloped in darkness. Like I am floating in space aimlessly without a light at the end of the tunnel. And I don't know what's going to happen. And I can simply accept that, potentially look to something in my immediate experience if I need something to do. But what shifts when I just let go of the definition of the purpose <laughs> of even understanding what the lesson is in this moment? Because we simply can't see it right now. So uh, I'm going to, okay, so we'll go through, we'll go through the steps. Cause like, I don't know, it's, it's just, I'm just going to like list them off. Okay. But something else to consider. I talk a lot about this in energy leadership. The last step isn't better than the first step. And honestly, like when we think about the cycle of change, there's a podcast for that. We're, we're continue. We're always in this process of starting and ending and starting and ending. And that's why I suggest that potentially in different spaces in your life and different dimensions of yourself, there are multiple journeys occurring that are layering onto each other. And so, and knowing that the end is only the beginning, the last step is as an example, some describe it as self-annihilation where we have returned, we have shared our wisdom and it is time for the hero to die. That doesn't necessarily feel good. And that very literal interpretation sounds like death, but figuratively we can think about it just simply in the, in the understanding that, okay, this is done now and it's time to begin again. Uh, someone argued that step 11, others step 17, but freedom, the ultimate freedom is potentially death. 
where we are released of any physical constraints, tethers, knowings. Could be really dark, could be really light. There's only one way to find out. Step number five, the belly of the whale. Some use the womb as symbology for this. Some think about it as the dark night of the souls, being in a cave, hibernating. Uh, I think of blankets. I think of uh, sitting in a in a cozy chair next to a fire on a dark winter, winter stormy night. There are all sorts of symbols that you can use and that probably make sense to you to represent the womb and the belly of the whale. This is where we are obliterated in our physical form. And this is how you transform into something new. This is part of the hero's journey. We've all been there. And it's supposed to be uncomfortable. I mean, you can think about it in terms of a workout. like, And that's what I loved about Stephen Pressfield's artist's journey. He talks about every single creative piece, essentially challenging the artist to the hero's journey. The call, the refusal, the threshold of adventure, and that <laughs> um, we... We often deny the journey that we are on because it is it is overwhelming to think about that on the other side of this, we are going to be somebody completely, completely different. So um, I am going to go through the steps really quick. So the call to adventure, the refusal of the call, supernatural help, crossing the threshold, belly of the whale. The road of trials, the meeting with the goddess. I think of this as the friends or foes, the um, the helpers along your way that could potentially be tricksters as well. Woman as temptress, atonement with the father, apotheosis, the ultimate boon, refusal of the return, the magic flight, rescue from without the crossing of the return, another threshold, master of two worlds, freedom to live and die. So those are the 17 steps. If I go through every single one of them, uh, we'll be here forever. But the, the general gist being there is a person, they are called on this journey they generally don't want to do it. It sounds really hard. They don't have the resources or they're just like happily tripping the light fantastic and don't want to mess up the status quo. But what happens when we ignore the thing that we're supposed to do supernaturally? Generally, something crazy happens, right? It might be some external influence finds us, that mentor shows up or there's like a horrible disaster and we're not able to ignore this challenge any longer. So we step it out. We say yes, begrudgingly or willingly, and we enter the belly of the whale. We went into that, but this is the hard part, the darkness, the scary, knowing that we're, we've kind of got to be broken down in order to be built back up in something new. I think about like boot camp. The road of trials. This is where we undergo a series of tests of proof, not just not just for you know the the people that are witnessing the story, but for ourselves. I think about this in terms of like goal um, goal theory. We need to take several steps along the journey and teach ourselves that we are capable of doing so much greater than we had ever thought possible. It needs to feel like a stretch, but it also needs to feel like something that is that we can do. Hence the meeting with the goddess. So this is where the feminine archetype shows up. Now, obviously, this doesn't have to be a woman. Traditionally, in a lot of stories, that's how this particular energy shows up. But this is where we play with the concept of the maternal, of nurturing, sister, mistress, how feminine energy has shown up for you in your world, chaos, creativity, birth, new, sensuous, all those fun things. And then also the challenges you may have had with that energy, um, temptation, denial, uh, desire, unrequited love. Like Again, these are very, very powerful, very, very familiar experiences represented in the story, typically as sort of the dark, the dark side of, of feminine. And then 
we have the atonement with the father. So this is where we, uh, while I was reading this and taking notes, the father is often representative of the villain. And that archetype is, is tends to be like a bad guy, um, something you need to really overcome. It shows up as a very structured, very disciplinary, very judgmental, very status quo, like stuck to the same, doesn't want change. It's very rigid. And so the, in the, in the hero's journey, this, this energy needs to be usurped and essentially that the new is coming through. It's, it's vibrant, um, it's fresh, it's potentially naive, and there is space for that. There is so, there, that is worthy of, of entertaining and honoring. And that's, well, we'll get, I'll circle back to that. Um, so apotheosis. So after conquering the fears, you've met the, the feminine, you've met the masculine, you sat through the darkness, you've passed all of these tests. Then we start to embody this confidence and this newfound strength and this willingness to try something even bigger and badder than we had before. And that could not have existed without having passed the tests, without having endured all of these challenges. It's almost like we have to have a certain level of pain and suffering in order to achieve a level of success that wasn't possible before. I talk a lot about this in terms of burnout. Like, I wish I could tell people, don't do that. You're going to lead to burnout. And once you burn out, you're going to be on the struggle bus for as long as it takes to get until you get home again. <laughs> like, But the thing is, is we need burnout. We actually need that pain and that suffering because that's how we learn. And that's what the, the monomyth, the hero, hero's journey would argue is that some of these lessons, some of these segments are simply unavoidable. And in fact, all we're doing, if we try to bypass one of these segments and take a shortcut is prolonging our journey because we cannot get to the end without having experienced each step along the way. So the ultimate boon, this is where the hero achieves their goal. They are reborn. They emerge from the belly of the whale. Uh, and there is there is reward showered upon them, whatever that kind of might look like. It's oftentimes like treasure. You know, when you think about reward, immediately I see like treasure chests and gold coins and lots of jewelry and lots of food. I see that like cornucopia um, situation, like Thanksgiving, harvest. Those are all symbols of the ultimate boon, the reward. Then refusal of the return. This is often where we can get a little distracted. We might think that the celebration and the party is going on forever. We might want to tease out a particular experience. This is a very common step to want to stay in. And it can feel very disassociative. Uh, this can like show up like a little bender, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but in order to embody enlightenment, to be able to bring together everything you've learned on the hero's journey, you have to abandon this celebratory uh, paradise and, you know, descend from heaven. And we have all sorts of different analogies. Um, I've actually got a couple of different, very traditional myths, but from different parts of the world. And that's what Joseph Campbell does unbelievably well, is literally retells in sections throughout the hero's journey, fairy tales, myths, historical uh, roundups, religious texts that like from every corner of the world. And it's remarkable how they're all just telling the same story, despite it being a thousand years old or a hundred years old, being from Northern Europe or indigenous Australia Eastern, like Japan or the tip of South America, we're, we're all telling these same stories, which I, I find absolutely fascinating. And the last being, um, oh, actually, we're not at the last at all. We've got the magic flight. So um, this might be where the hero is actually gifted some type of um, like weight, like it's actually a symbol for embodying everything that's been learned. So maybe it's an elixir, maybe they're drinking water, maybe it's a chalice, but um, there is, they, they have something that they need to keep safe and they need to bring it back to all of the people, right? 
And then um, in this mission, so they've left paradise, right? They've got all of this wisdom. It's symbolized in some sort of like physical um, incarnation and they're bringing it back. And there's, there's a little more danger. The story is not over yet. They have not yet gotten to the end. And so it brings a little bit more drama, a little bit more test, a little bit more commitment. And ultimately the hero is now reminded or shown like you are the answer. You know everything. You are what you have been looking for. There might be, it's like a rescue, but but um, sort of depending on the story, the lesson here being like, you are the one you've been waiting for. And then we cross the threshold. We now are recognized for this this journey that we've been on. We are visibly we are mentally, we're spiritually, we're emotionally transformed. Everybody can see it. They're curious. They want to, you know, they'll have two of what you're having. Like they can see, see that things have really taken shape. You are now the master of two worlds. You have almost this like double life. You have this ability to code change. You've brought experiences some may never, ever, ever be able to relate to. Yet you have this ability to bestow the learnings and the energy to those who are willing to take this journey with you. And as the hero, your journey is now complete. And for some, that is not enough. They want to go back and do it all over again. And for others, they recognize the completion. Their ego is entirely satiated from within and they might go wander alone because they no longer need the external validation or even the, the physical, emotional or spiritual um, nurturing from the external world. They have completely, uh, they've become completely whole. So I said I wasn't going to get into the steps. There we go. I did. I wanted to talk about it though, because I think as a business owner, I think as, as any human, obviously you can relate to this. I create most of this for people who have this <laughs> the calling and they've either, they're either, you know, halfway through their journey, they've done this journey a hundred different times, or they're at the refusal to call. And I encourage you to, again, explore, where are you? Where are the people around you? What does that mean in terms of their own experience, the lessons available to them, why they're at where they at? Can you allow them to be in the belly of the whale while you are free? while you are essentially um, debating self-annihilation. <laughs> but we all, we all get to experience this journey for what it is. And it can be really challenging when someone especially close to you uh, I see this obviously in partnership, but I'm thinking more like boss employee. When someone just hasn't had, they're they're just not at the same step. They've been on far few journeys as you have, far fewer journeys. And so often we want to drag them kicking and screaming along this path, but that just doesn't that doesn't work, right? So I'm sure you've thought of a few places where you might be. What could be gained by just letting yourself be there? Oh, this is the refusal to call. That's the thing that feels really hard, uh, like writing the book. That's a very obvious example. But I just spoke with someone today, one of the people that I work with, and they uh, experienced a death in the family. And in having to gather all of the family together, celebrate life, get everybody organized, they discovered some new skill sets in themselves. And they realized that by the time they got home, they had been transformed. They had this new knowledge. They had embodied it. And it was an incredibly powerful skill set that they feel like might change the course of their career and their work here. And that's big. And they're taking some time to figure out, is this the beginning of my journey or is this the end of my journey? Do I take this knowledge and share it or am I self-contained and this experience, and is this the end of it? And it's time to start something completely new. I don't think there's one answer to that. I don't think there's a right answer to that. But when you think about where you've been on your journey, you're going to understand that particular segment and the experience that is available when you simply allow it to show up. So symbols. We talked a little bit about some of the symbols at the beginning. Um, I want to talk about some of the symbols that really stood out to me that I hadn't thought about. You know, the hero is pretty obvious. Um, 
and and potentially the role of like the father and the role of the mother. I mean, I think we kind of grapple with those all of the time, especially when we distill it to just the feminine or the masculine. But as an example, the cycle, how can the cycle show up in your physical reality? So I think like day, night, dawn, dusk, birth, death, young, old, spring, summer, fall, winter. We have very obvious ways of demonstrating this energy. Things are always changing. Uh, this too shall pass. We can get really caught up in our narrative and our like very sometimes murky, cloudy, confusing reality. And if you've ever tried free writing before, which is where you kind of give yourself time to just start writing on a page with nothing in particular. And you kind of start doodling and saying, this is dumb. I don't know what I'm supposed to write. All of a sudden stuff starts coming out. And if you keep going with it and you give yourself maybe 10, 15 minutes, sometimes longer, you'll start to see what I mean when I talk about symbols. We can start describing these energies in this symbolic way. I'm looking at the clock. It feels like this 10 minutes will never end. I just wish that I could go into bed and go into hibernation. Everything feels hard. This is feeling, you know, blah, blah, blah. We've just described a few different stages in this hero's journey as based on symbols in our imagination that represent an energy or a feeling. So in, in this context, we can think about cycles like business cycles or sales cycles or hiring and firing helping people ascend in the organization or understand their current context in the organization. Maybe you're done with a job. Maybe you're refusing the call to start something new. Those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive, by the way. You can just accept the fact that, okay, I'm ready and start something. <laughs> and then, then you get that interdimensionality, right? Where you're starting a hero's journey in one space and you are um, potentially completing a hero's journey and starting again, but with a different mission this time. So power. I'd never thought about power in terms of symbols. I mean, of course you, th you think like the strong arm or like the president, um, the leader of your community or culture, uh, your country, your neighborhood, um, certain cars. I think of like big trucks as like power and the idea in, in Campbell's narrative is that Power is sort of the, the origin point of good or evil. Power is defined by service. Do you use this energy for good or do you use this energy for bad? And it can take all forms, a magic ring, a lightsaber. The I've actually shared two links as well, NASA and... Oh my gosh, I'm going to forget. I think, oh, NASA and Disney did a... Um, a presentation on the hero's journey as Star Wars. So I've linked to that. I also got Kurt Vonnegut talking about the hero's journey because every single uh, hero or heroine in his books absolutely follows the hero's journey. And it's a pretty funny, that one's only about five minutes, but it's a pretty funny retelling. So there's there's a lot of um, a lot of links that I'm sharing in, in below and sharing in the show notes just so that you can tap into this in whatever way suits you. Uh, Maybe, maybe my delightful <laughs> degustation of uh, the hero's journey will be enough. Who knows? But the power, I mean, I was thinking in terms of like access, privilege. Those are more esoteric concepts, but like the internet, a computer, what kind of computer you have? Do you have an iPhone? Do you have an Android? Like these can be symbols of power. We talk about it like BDE, big dick energy or big deal energy. Um, how, you know, high heels, uh, power stances, hero stances. There's so many different ways we can represent power. And what's also fascinating is like eye contact um, is, a, is a strong symbol of power. And depending on the culture, it's something you do or you don't do to acknowledge the power in the dynamic, in the relationship. So power as a symbol, how does it show up for you? How do you wield power? I know for you know men, it can be a watch. Um, for women, it can be a handbag. Like, But if I don't care about your handbag, do I recognize that power? 
all just really interesting assumptions that we're making in terms of what's important, what matters, where's influence, how do we show up? Uh, and, and I think importantly to ask yourself, well, what am I trying to do? What's the point? What's the purpose? When we talk about setting intention, that's what we're talking about. And so when we layer this into the hero with a thousand faces, what we're recognizing is there are age old ways of demonstrating power. Now, are you doing something that's really superficial? No judgment, by the way. That's like, we often think of superficial as bad, but I'm using it in this context, meaning that only the people in your immediate experience are going to get it, which might be fine. Or are you trying to demonstrate power on like a systemic level? Maybe you're trying to influence organizational change or cultural change in your immediate space, in your immediate environment. If you're walking around with your hands on your hips, making eye contact at everybody using a loud voice... That might be how power was demonstrated to you, but to some people that you're trying to influence, they perceive that as evil as opposed to good. So uh, the other thing I wanted to point out is I know in Western, especially American culture, we pedestalize heroes. So power is perceived as something desirable, but in other cultures, when you are the tall poppy, you get cut down. And so the bravado, the macho, the masculine energy that tends to be associated with this concept, the symbol of power, is not perceived as a positive aspect. And in fact, people will attack that energy. The question is, is especially in what you're trying to do, and especially, especially if you are in business, if you're a leader in business, if you're starting business, if you're telling your own story, how do you want to position your hero? How do you want to wield power? What is the symbol or what are the symbols that you will use to show power? Are they accepted? Are they positive? Are they the use of this energy for good in service of the greatest good? Or is it potentially a corruption using power to advantage only the self or a small small group. There's no right or wrong, my friend. Uh, the dragon to be slain. This one was interesting. I hadn't really thought about this because obviously dragons are um, systemic in our storytelling. And I think about dragons. I mean, I suppose they're like any large, you know, fire breathing lizard. Um, they are especially common in European mythology, uh, Eastern mythology. I think we've got representations of them and other uh, cultures. But Campbell suggests dragons are the symbols of greed and desire. They typically hoard gold and women, but they're not able to make use of them. And so they can sim symbolize systemic injustice or the corruption of power, a mistake that was uh, committed and by slaying the dragon, the heroic knight accomplishes his destiny. And again, just a really exa interesting example, I thought, of symbology. And what is a very common character in a lot of our storytelling and why. And ultimately, it's to teach us a lesson that, you know, use what you need. Um, take, don't take what is not yours or take only what is yours. Um and like the flip side of it is hoarding and greed and intimidation and um, entrapment will likely take you down in some way, shape or form. The symbolic wilderness. Society, Campbell believes, is fairly organized, fairly arranged, very structured and Although humans tend to come together in society and society influences them, shapes them, teaches them these stories, they are restricted. They are constrained. This is the status quo. And so it is only by going out into the wilderness that we can really explore not just the wild, chaotic, true nature of experience, but of ourselves as well. And I don't think I need to explain a lot how wilderness is used in storytelling. I mean, it's it's one of the thresholds for almost every culture is the the youth goes out into the wilderness and returns an adult. 
there's a reason for that. It's because without that structure, without those constraints, without those expectations, we can truly tune into that whom we are becoming and then embody that, the hero's journey. Marriage as a symbol for the union of opposites. Oftentimes in story, we will bring together two things that might have not ever met and become stronger because of it, or potentially be incredibly endangered. So, you know, it's really going to depend on the lesson, the purpose, why are we talking about this in this particular context, but it's, you know, marriage is symbolic of union. And, um, it's interesting. Campbell observes that marriage is often the symbol of a resolution as well. There's been a problem. There's been a conflict. Now we have a solution. Magic weaponry, that lightsaber. So the, the magic weaponry embodies the selection of the hero. And in almost every single culture, we see a ton of superstition, a ton of energy around different objects, whether it's trees that connect, you know, the roots connect the underworld to the divine, whether it's a sword that only a, a, a chosen hero can withdraw and use, whether someone's magic has been um, transcribed into this particular tool, whether this tool symbolizes your ability to wield it. Magic weaponry is obvious is a, a pretty well known um, is a pretty well known concept within the hero's journey. But something I'll go back to uh, Stephen Pressfield and the artist's journey. He talks about like every time he sits down to write, it's the same time of day. He sits in the same beat up old chair. He puts on this very old, very gross jacket. Same thing with it, this kind of disheveled old floppy hat. <sighs> And he prepares himself for his hero's journey. I would say that each one of those are a magical tool, a, a talisman of um, energy that to him represents like, this is the beginning of my journey. And uh, one of the last symbols I'll get into is um, fate and free will. So this is the constant tension, right? Like, And I think so many of us battle with this because on the one hand, fate feels... Uh, predestined. We have no choice. We have no agency. We're born into this and therefore this is how it's all going to play out. And then also we would love to think that, well, if we want it, we deserve it. And that what we want will always find us. That which is intended for us cannot be missed. Like we would love for there to be some organization and promise in the, in the chaos and in the unknown. The flip side of that is with free will, you can create your own reality. You can do whatever you want. You can change the script. You can write the movie. You can change the set. Like, But it, it also comes with this continued uncertainty, the chaos, the darkness, the murkiness. And like that tension between those two potentials is... I mean, I almost think of it as, as like where it's the stage that the hero's journey plays out upon. So the hero does have to make choices and even not making a choice is still a choice, right? Destiny won't be denied, but a wrong turn can be made. And only by choosing wisely can the hero align to the energies of the fate and the universe. And I think that kind of brings us back to the beginning where what Campbell is suggesting is that this mythology, these energies are so universal, are so collectively felt that despite our culture, despite our upbringing, despite our family, we've all experienced them and we all will. And they tend to unravel in a very particular order, taking us from beginning to end. This is an incredibly powerful exploration of themes. And you know, you can use them in terms of interpretation. If you're feeling like maybe you're in the belly of the whale, what symbols could you seek out? Not like, like on purpose, but I just mean in terms of your day to day, you could think, well, the belly of the whale is very dark. I think of it in terms of caves. I think of it in terms of bears who hibernate. I think of it in terms of winter. I think of it like a particularly hard time in my past. And I can remember what that felt like. And also by reflecting on that time in the past, I remember I did emerge from the cage and I was probably stronger, smarter, more confident, 
on the other side of that? How does that inform inform your current your current step on your journey? Um, I'm trying to think. That's kind of what I really wanted to talk about. I'd never. I guess we're all familiar with the hero's journey. That's that's obvious. The 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 various steps useful in terms of academic, but you know, do you need to have them written down and next to your desk? Probably not. <laughs> but I think really useful when you're wondering where you are, why is it like this? What's coming next? How to manage change, how to manage organizational or cultural change in your experience, how to work with other people who are on their own journeys, who are battling their own enemies and trials and making their own friends and um, you know, discovering their uh, feminine maternal energy and then being abandoned by it and then atoning with the father. Like it is, it is a wild adventure. It's a wild ride. And depending on when you're listening to this, the ride is particularly bumpy right now for most people. And we might all be in a collective uh, whale's belly. And that's okay. That's exactly where we're supposed to be. You are exactly where you need to be. And I hope if you walk away from this with anything, it's knowing that this too shall pass. And this particular segment of your journey is incredibly important. There are lessons here. There's power here. There are talismans. There are symbols. There are friends. There are uh, tools that you will walk away with from this moment that will be invaluable to you, even if it's just to trade them for something even bigger and better, right? So that was the quick and dirty. I'm really proud of myself. We got in under an hour on that one, even though I think this book is like a thousand pages, depending on what you look at. I will include the notes. I'll also include all of the links that I talked about. You can find them in the Discord container. So the link to that will be in the show notes um, or just below, depending on where you're watching or listening. I am Nicole BZ. You can find me on all the socials at the BZ channel. And that's all I got. The ne next book in the Quantum Business Book Club is Rational Optimist. Uh, I am also reading Letting Go. If you want to do the bonus with me, I don't know that we'll do an actual episode on that, but thank you so much for being here. You're the best. Thank you, Discord Container, for going live with me. Let's back out of that. And I'm going to end this, end this recording. Thank you. You're amazing. 